Yeah, we'll get we'll go ahead and uh, and get started here. We're just sort of rearranging the deck chairs here, if you will. Uh, get everybody settled here. So I'm gonna do some intros while they're getting settled here. So again, I'm Chris Weatherby, transportation and shipping analyst at City. I feel like I got like the Oscars music in the background playing that kind of get us off the stage, I guess. Um, it's gonna be a good panel. So we have the LNG shipping panel. This is one of, I think, the more interesting sectors within shipping right now, at least from an equity research analyst perspective. Um, we're joined by three panelists. We have Harold Gervin, the CFO of Flex LNG, to my left right here. Harold, thanks for joining us. Andy Orikar, CEO of Gaslog Partners, to his left. Andy, thanks for joining us. And Majed Limam, who's a manager from Potent Partners. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, you know, what, I, what I'd like to do is maybe go to Majed first, because you have an interesting perspective on this, because we have a couple of owners and then we have someone from the consultant side of the house who's gonna be a lot smarter than I am about this stuff. So I'm gonna go to you first and you can help me out here. But okay. if you could maybe start by giving us a little bit of your lay of the land about maybe the current supply demand environment in LNG shipping. And what I mean current, like the 2019 type of story. And then we can kind of build out from there. I think that'd be a good way to start. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. And, and uh, uh, so, yes, I mean, it, it's a very exciting time actually to be uh, in, in the LNG industry in general and, and of course, including on, on, on shipping. Uh, the, the market has, has experienced uh, tremendous growth the last few years, and, and uh, we project it, it, it will continue to, to grow. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the LNG uh, product uh, itself, uh, which drives, of course, the need for, for LNG shipping uh, all around the world. Uh, so just to give you some perspective, uh, over the last uh, 10 years, LNG market has grown in average, you know, 7 to 8 percent. Uh, if you compare that to the oil market, that's only one and a half percent. So LNG is a growth area. Uh, it's a good business to be in, and we anticipate the growth to continue. Uh, last year in 2018, the, the market was around 312 million ton per year. We anticipate this year 340, uh, and, and then by 2025, uh, around four, more than 400 million ton per year. Uh, so what's interesting in shipping is that uh, the, the world is becoming more flexible uh, in, in LNG and, and the key supply source is coming from the United States. So trade routes are, are becoming uh, longer, uh, the, the need to ship LNG to further locations is increasing, particularly Asia Pacific from the US Gulf, uh, and, and with that the need for shipping is, is, is increasing uh, quite uh, high, paralleling the, the need for LNG. So in our view, the, the market currently is very seasonal. It's driven by winter demand in, in Asia Pacific. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we see, we can have a market that is very tight, both on the, on the shipping end and on the product, and a bit less tight during shoulder months, building into the need for winter. But overall, 2019 seems to be a year where you may see some tightness towards the end, and uh, in, in when the winter, uh, cold weather reaches uh, Asia and, and there's more requirement for LNG ships. Uh, there's three more projects coming out of the U.S. So mm -hmm. that will increase supply. 
and, and uh, into 2020 and 2021, we, we see a more balanced market. Okay, that's great. That's a great overview. Certainly some, some sort of big growth numbers in, on the, the liquefaction supply side of the house. Andy, maybe I'll, I'll throw it over to you. Could you give us some perspective on supply from the industry? I'm gonna have some company specific questions, but maybe how do you think about the supply from the industry building today? What's sort of available from an from a open ship perspective now? And then maybe if you look out, let's flip the calendar over to 2020 and, and think about the supply environment then too. Sure. Um, so first of all, thanks for having me, Chris and, and Nick and the folks from Capital Link. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, uh, and and would, would echo my fellow panelists' comments in the sense that we are in a, right now, a seasonally quiet period for yep. LNG, both on the cargo and shipping side. Uh, our, our view is that this is very much transitory and, and will change as we get into really the second half of 2019. Um, and what we've seen from a supply perspective, the last time the market was, was weak from a cargo pricing perspective, uh, you saw uh, relatively weak spot shipping rates. You didn't see a lot of ships being ordered. And in the last year or so, there's been, there's been a more active order book, but it's really kind of catching up with historical averages. And so today there's about 110 ships in the order book that'll deliver over the next three years. Mm -hmm. Uh, roughly two-thirds of those are already committed on long-term contracts. Mm -hmm. And as you might imagine, the, the, sh the, the, the closer you are to a ship's delivery date, the more likelihood that ship's going to be on a charter. So in 2019 here, we've got uh, 38 ships delivering, 33 of which have charters. And in fact, our parent company, Gaslug Limited, just in the past month or so, has announced uh, two charters of its uh, the, the two bu new buildings that were open, one to Odessa and one to Jera. So yep. that, that we can't speak for the entire industry, but that is not uncommon given the size of capital investment you're making in a, an LNG ship. And I think generally is gas log strategy to, to um, have ships chartered before they deliver. Um, so the overall supply for ships this year is, is relatively, um, rel relatively static given how many of them are under contracts. Today, in the spot market, I would estimate that there's about 30 ships that are essentially dedicated to spot cargoes. Um, it's not always the same 30 ships as multi-month multi and, and uh, multi-voyage charters begin and end. Um, but but it, it's a relatively small number that um, you saw over the, over the holiday period when uh, a few cargoes were delayed getting into Asia. You had a number of ships sitting off Singapore waiting to discharge cargoes, and the market went from $70,000, $80,000 a day to a, a record high of, of almost $200,000 a day. So y you don't need much additional tightness with a relatively small number of ships to move the rates. And so we're, my crystal ball isn't perfect, but I, I, we feel quite strongly that Q3, Q4 will be a, a fair bit stronger than we are today and have every reason to be similar to what we saw in last year's market. Yep, okay, that makes sense. Um, Harold, let's get you involved here. Uh, you have a decent amount of new buildings on order, so maybe the question for you would be, um, I guess two things. First, if you were to place a new building order today, when would you expect to get that ship? So what does the yard flexibility look like or availability look like? And then when you think about, from a flex LNG perspective, how you like to balance committed capacity versus potential speculative new build ordering. How, how do you think about that approach as a company? Well, I think uh, if, you, if you look at Plex, I mean, we, we started out with uh, basically two vessels uh, beginning of, uh, of 2017, the new, uh, new megatype, and then uh, 
come uh, fourth quarter last year, where we have a fleet of 13 vessels, which are basically all uh, uncommitted on compared to, to long-term charters. Uh, we, we have four vessels on the water currently, and then another nine vessels coming over, uh, you know, two this year, uh, five next year, and uh, two in 2021. I think our uh, our take has always been, uh, you know, we want we want a mix of uh, long-term contracts and, uh, you know, some on, on shorter term. But uh, we just feel the, the timing hasn't been right to, to fix out the vessels, exactly for the, the reasons we, uh, <laughs> you know, we discussed here with all the capacity coming online. I think if you, uh, if you fix out the vessel uh, today, long-term, you know, it's not uh, the best of business return on capital-wise. Uh, so we've uh, intentionally waited with fixing out the vessels and uh, let the others fix first. And then when the, the market is really tight this year, I think we're, uh, we're definitely going to look at some uh, longer-term opportunities. It's also a bit down to, uh, to the fleet we have. Uh, of course, it's all uh, fifth generation, uh, order at very attractive prices and with what we believe is uh, fairly attractive uh, delivery slots. Uh, some of them have uh, full uh, relic systems, uh, which are very suited for, uh, for longer-term charters. Uh, we have three of those coming, uh, coming next year. Um, there we see a lot of interest for, uh, for more longer-term charters. But I think uh, what a lot of people forget in the, in the market you're seeing today is sort of uh, the utilization. Uh, people read the, the headline rate, the TC rates. Um, and uh, you know they multiply that by the number of vessels and number of days. Uh, but of course, uh, the TCE, the time charter equivalent, is what re is really important. And in a, in a, you know in a, the market we're seeing these days, you know the, the, you can uh, re read the headline rates, but what you're actually earning uh, is uh, is a lot less unless you get up the utilization. So I think we would also uh, you know in addition to more uh, longer term uh, fixed contracts. We would also be willing to uh, to trade sort of uh, a flexible rate under a longer-term contract uh, where it's uh, linked to the market, so just to ensure you have utilization. So maybe not uh, a fixed uh, five or seven-year charter, but with uh, flexibility in it. So, but uh, you know, we're uh, with 13 uh, vessels currently. Uh, you know, unfixed uh, long-term, uh, we're definitely not gonna stay uh, a, a spot operator with 13 vessels. Got it, makes sense. Majid, we, you talked about some big growth numbers on the LNG side. Um, what are the risks to that developing over time according to the schedule that we see when we kind of look at the, the sort of the longer-term projections? And then if you were to sort of bucket any of that into what's probable and maybe what's a little less probable to come online. How much potential volatility could you see in that annual growth rate of supply of yeah. liquefaction capacity coming into the market? Yeah, very good question. I mean, it, it, is, it is an industry that is driven by, by the, the, the supply projects and, and, and their timing. Um, but what in turn uh, pushes or, or, or kind of anchors the development of LNG projects on the supply end is the demand. Uh, so, so it's um, uh, typically um, it would take four and a half years, five years to build a liquefaction project. So um, the, the demand, there has to be some clarity on, on demand going forward. Uh, the, the largest risk, I would say, uh, goes with the largest opportunity right now, which is China. China has grown 
tremendously the last couple of years beyond everybody's expectation, even ours at, at Poten. Uh, we, we had some aggressive growth, but it, they even overshot that. Uh, and that is driven by environmental decision by the government, which is we have to replace coal using gas, reduce emissions, particularly in large cities, particularly in the north, uh, for, 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 for heating uh, purposes. Uh, and, and this has been really a big success story, uh, but it's driven by the weather. Uh, and it's also driven by political decisions by the Chinese government to push the environment. Because from an economic perspective, it's very hard to, to displace coal. I mean, coal is the cheapest uh, product uh, to generate electricity in China. Uh, so it is a political decision driven by the environment. So markets, developing nations like China, India, uh, the, the, the political decision and will to continue pushing gas uh, to improve the environment at the detriment of coal is key here. Uh, because if you look at the growth level going forward on LNG, it's driven by power generation, it's driven by Asian markets, particularly China and India and other emerging ones. And there the competition is really coal unless there's push from an environmental side by, by these governments. So what we do is we watch very closely all the progress from a political perspective, and China's been making a lot of uh, positive moves on that end. India, a bit less so, much more complicated decision-making. Uh, but those two areas, I would say China, India, emerging markets such as Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, from an import side, uh, are really important development for, for, for the overall growth uh, going forward. Uh, Got it. Yeah. That's helpful. Andy, from your perspective, you mentioned the parent company has signed some recent charters, one of which was you know, longer than what we've typically seen um, and has diversified the portfolio from a customer perspective. What is the sort of term appetite from charterers? Is there a reason why we're starting to see things kind of pick up now as you look out over the course of the next six months or so? Do you expect to see you know, maybe more activity, whether it's at GasLog or other partners um, in, in the term market? Sure. Um, well, I think there's, there's a couple of different dynamics. Uh, as mentioned, so much of the gas continues to be sold on such a long-term basis. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of Chenier's deal with mm -hmm. the Taiwanese for 25 years, and, and there was uh, you know, once a narrative that those long-term SPAs were going to go away. That, that actually hasn't happened. In fact, they're probably longer in term. And so matching the shipping or, or at least managing the risk as, as far out as you can with shipping um, from our customers continues to be very important. And yeah. so um, I think that the term business will, will be there for some time. I think for the on the water ships, um, you know, you're competing against a, a, a new building that is three years away. And so for the on the water ships to get term deals that are much longer than three years, I think that's fairly unlikely. Yeah. Um, there's probably some good circumstances where that still will occur, but I would say the majority will be, will be less than that period. But for the new buildings, um, I think there's been a, a tremendous amount of capital discipline. Uh, owners like ourselves and, and others want uh, a, a, a de-risking of the investment they're making. And so from the new buildings that, that we're building and others are building, it's still seven plus years. And as you said, the last two that we've done as a company were eight and 12 years. Yeah. Um, and so we, we're, we're very comfortable with that model. That's kind of our capital allocation model as well. And uh, hope it continues, but, but a little shorter for, for the on the water ships. Now, 
a question that may be a little sensitive from a competitive standpoint, but certainly let's just talk about your approach to returns on those assets when you're putting them out for long term. Mm. So we've seen asset prices historically, there was a several years ago kind of peaked, then there's a little bit of a trough here. And so obviously you're gonna match those contracts to sort of return that you need to generate on the price that you paid for the asset. Mm. But you know, what are sort of the broad pieces of the framework that you use when you're making those decisions? Sure. So we, we saw uh, about 15 months or so ago, it, it, it felt like a, uh, a kind of cyclical bottom in the new building yep. uh, prices. Um, and so we and, and a few others certainly uh, placed orders at that time. And I think, you know, you, you saw ships being built that were all in with supervision costs around 180 million, give yep. or take. Mm -hmm. um, which if you look back over time, uh, LNG, cost to build a new LNG carrier has been about 200 million plus or minus 10%. Um, so, so not 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 knowing with certainty, but feeling like that was a good time to be to be buying some assets. That's that's the last time we've placed some new orders. I think today that number is probably in the low 190s, uh, really when it's fully loaded. Um, which, which again, I think those of us up here are probably delighted by because it it helps our existing asset values yep. and it also uh, keeps less well capitalized, uh, le less and less sort of scale entities into the business. Um, and I think in each of those cases, we try to solve for about a nine to 10% unlevered return. Okay. Um, and, and so over time, again, big round numbers, that $200 million plus or minus new building costs would, would need a charter of $75,000 a day plus or minus as well yep. um, to, to generate that kind of cash on cash return. Uh, and I think our, our targets on that haven't, haven't changed. Um, and so I think what we're seeing is, is new building prices go up, the competition for term charters of new buildings is seeing rates move up very slightly, I think still still in and around that $75,000 a day level, but it's it's going up with the with the ship costs. Yep. Harold, do you have a perspective on how you guys think about that? Yeah, we, we, uh, we think 75,000 is pretty boring, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, it, but it, you know, it, it differs. Because mm. if, you, if you look at it, it's, uh, if, you, if you suddenly get to 85, uh, that uh, unlevel return is uh, is closer to 12%. Mm. So, uh, of course, if you if you have uh, if you have the muscle to, to sit and wait, uh, you know, and, and let the others do the the 75,000, we think that the market is definitely going to be tight. So there's room for everybody. Mm. And I think you see now, uh, of course, the market was extremely tight in in the fourth quarter uh, with rates at you know nameplate rate. $200,000 per day, uh, you, you, you know, maybe the TCE was $300,000 per day because you, you could earn a double balance bonus and uh, charter that vessel out uh, straight, uh, straight again. But uh, then of course the market uh, came severely down as so, uh, uh, you know, in the first quarter. But I think the way we see it now, it's, it's really bottomed out, uh, but people still have uh, fresh in mind what, uh, what happened last year. So, uh, you know, there's a big, uh, LNG conference in uh, in China um, China this uh, this week. Uh, people usually get excited at these conferences, so you saw a lot of charters uh, wanting to to fix vessels uh, before the conference, uh, basically taking it through through the winter and uh, and uh, and uh, securing the tonnage to to avoid that spike. Uh, so, uh, but. You know, and, and the rates quoted there are uh, are fairly good, um, but uh, you know, with a with a bad spot market. So uh, I think it's a it's a strange situation now where you actually have uh, 
you know, usually it's the spot market that's driving the term market, but now it's actually people wanting to secure term that's maybe pulling up the, the spot market instead. Mm. Uh, but of course we, uh, you know, we have uh, an ambition to charter out the vessels, but we don't have any, I think you see so, some of the, the companies, they need to charter out the vessels. Maybe they have covenants that, which means they, uh, they need to, to have employment in their financings and things like that. Uh, we don't have any of those restrictions. We like to sort of make the decision ourselves on how we should uh, charter out the vessels and uh, not let the banks do that because they usually want you to do it at the, the wrong time when the market is a bit low and they get a bit stressed. Uh, they say, ah, oh, you have to fix it. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, our, our, as I said earlier also, our uh, stance has always been that, uh, you know, 19 and 20 will be very tight and, uh, you know, we have... Uh, the new fleet uh, and the open vessels uh, delivering at uh, the right time. So it's definitely should be a, go a good time for uh, to enter into more long-term opportunities, but at the same time keeping some flexibility with some uh, shorter-term vessels. So what do you view as long-term? So what would you be your perspective on a long-term charter? Uh, I would say uh, five to seven years. Five to seven years, okay. Sort of a, a long-term charter. And, and you feel like you, something in the mid 80s is possible five to seven years as you get through 2019, maybe touch into 2020? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a, I guess there was a charter last year for three years at uh, at 105. Uh, sure. Which uh, we also bid for, but we were a bit uh, too greedy. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so let's see here, Harold, for a second and talk about the sort of the sustainability of the spot market. What, what do you think we, we will see going forward in terms of the size of the spot market? Several years ago, no spot market. Today, there's more. Cargos are being traded a uh, bit more frequently than they have historically. What, what's your view there? Well, well I guess it's, it's really a total change in the market, uh, you know, compared to the old 20-year uh, point-to-point contracts and then uh, you know, the, the second phase, more uh, the portfolio traders, and now it's uh, LNG has really become a commodity. But, uh, but still, of course, uh, a large, uh, as Andy also said, a large part of the, the contracts are, uh, are uh, long-term contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do see, uh, see more and more uh, in the spot market. Uh, I think the, for the fourth quarter, uh, 18, uh, around, I guess around 70% was, uh, was long-term business. If you look at uh, sort of uh, ton miles, which is how you measure demand, uh, and uh, around 20% was uh, sort of what we call the, the shorter term, uh, which is below three years. Uh, how much of that was actually spot, I'm not sure, but, uh, and then 10% was sort of medium-term contracts. But, uh, but I think, uh, you know, if you look at what you're seeing in the market today, uh, of course, there's a lot of capacity coming out of, of the U.S. Uh, where that capacity is going to end up is, is really what's going to drive the market. Uh, right now, it's uh, mostly going into Europe, which is, you know, short on mile. Uh, if it goes into to Asia, as it usually does, uh, that's uh, double the ton mile. Uh, so we, we, you know, we, we do sort of uh, calculations on uh, on uh, on how many vessels is needed. Uh, I think if uh, based on the 30 million plus tons coming this year, um, and sort of the the average trading distance you have seen, uh, you know, our estimate is you know 60 vessels are needed against uh, the around 40 vessels that are actually being delivered, many of which are contracted. 
you know, if he, if he goes into um, to Europe, this gas, uh, you know, it's still uh, still a good ton mileage. But then, you know, it's probably more around 45 new vessels needed. So, uh, uh, you know, we we do believe 2019 will be tight, and that's why you also see the. So the charter is now trying to uh, to secure tonnage uh, before people get too greedy. <laughs> so Majid, that's a great point and, and one I wanted to ask. So when we're translating our annual tons of production to ships required, are you using, what, what, I'll just ask it open-ended, what are you using for the next couple of years as you're seeing these trade lanes evolve? Yeah, so, uh, and, and it's how it's got the, the exact point is how much uh, of the US is going to go to Europe, South America, and how much is going to go longer distances to Asia. Yeah. And, and in, in, in our view, um, a lot of it is going to Asia. That's where the demand growth is, that's where the need is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and if you look even at where uh, the 100 million ton per year that has taken final investment decision out of the US, who, who the buyers are. Uh, most of them are Asian buyers or, or Asian trading houses with the original idea to take a lot of that volume to, 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 to Asia. Uh, so, so in our view, yeah, a, a number like 60 to, to, to 70 percent going to all of east of Suez, which will include Middle East, China, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and then Northeast Asia is, 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 is a good representative number. That has a huge impact on shipping because if you're taking one million ton from the US Gulf to, to Europe or South America, one ship, perhaps, you know, this is a good rule of thumb. If you're taking it all the way to the Panama Canal or, 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 or through the Suez to India, uh, you, you're doubling almost that number of ships requirement to ship the same uh, amount of uh, LNG. Yeah. So that can make a huge difference on, on, on the requirements. Uh, another interesting aspect, uh, and we see it more and more as the US uh, becomes uh, the, the key supplier here to the world is if you look at the 100 million ton that have taken uh, investment decision in, 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 in the United States, about 50% of that volume has been contracted to end user buyers. So these are the Korea Gas, Jira, uh, Tokyo Gas of, of this world. So you could assume you, with clarity, you, you can determine how many ships are needed for that trade. Uh, the other 50%, which is about 50 million ton per year, are either aggregators, you know, the Total, Shell, BP of this world, trading houses, Mitsui, Mitsubishi, requiring quite a bit of flexibility on where to take that LNG. Uh, and it's going to be driven by price and net back. Uh, and again, that flexibility on shipping and having uh, the availability is key to, to be able to, to move the, the product. Uh, so, so we do quite a bit of analysis there, but in our view, yeah, numbers like shared by Harold are, are uh, a very good base case. Uh, and and uh, if Asia takes more during the winter, then there will be even more stress on, on, on the requirements. So that seasonality aspect is another layer uh, of complexity there. Yeah. Okay, so, so if I'm putting you on the spot, I'm saying 1.75 ships per million tons. Is that a fair number to use? Um, historically, it's been lower, but with the U.S., uh, coming in now, we would say more like 1.4, 1.5, even 1.6. Okay. A lot of it is going to Asia. Got it. Which is a much higher average than what we've seen when the trades were, were shorter and, and less cross-basin type. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about 
sort of financing availability and, and how you guys are thinking about um, sourcing capital. This is a bit more of a consolidated market than some of the other markets in shipping that I cover. Andy, you guys have an interesting setup with a parent company, obviously an MLP sort of uh, below that. Um, what do you think sort of, I, I guess maybe two questions. First, from your perspective, what do you think your rough cost of capital is? How do you think about your cost of capital? And then in terms of other capital that has the potential to come into this market. Obviously, these ships are big and expensive and complex. Is there an area where we could get crossed up as investors where we could see a rush of capital coming in that could catch us off guard, where you could see the order book maybe get to a bit too heavy? It's mm, a good question. So um, right now, there's there's various strategies. There are, there are public companies like ourselves. Um, there are some who have MLPs, some who have not not taken that step uh, or, or just don't, don't quite have the scale to do that. And then there are some private owners like there are in other lines of shipping. You know, I think we see our cost of capital, um, particularly by, by having a, an MLP that, that has continued to work mm -hmm. as sort of a high single digit on the equity side and, and kind of mid single digit on the debt side. And, and for us, in our, in our allocation uh, strategy, that, that cost of capital makes sense and works for us. Um, in our business, I, I don't see sort of an unexpected set of entrants that, that are not already well-established in shipping. I think there's um, a, a real value in operating the ships and having that expertise. And so I think a sort of you know, financial backed with, with little operating expertise entrant, I don't think is going to be very competitive for the long-term contracts that, that um, all of us want to some extent, maybe some more than others. Um, but I think will continue to be a big feature of the market. Uh, that, that if that you're if you're in the business, you're going to be competing for long-term contracts at some point. So, um, you know, never say never. But I think we're I think the number of the number of players is is fairly clear, um, and I think the the cost of capital generally in the world are going up a bit, uh, which again we feel quite comfortable with given our scale and the platform that we have. Um, I do think we've reached just a, for a gas log specific comment. I think we've reached a scale now uh, with 35 ships between the two companies that. Uh, while growth continues to be very important, I think we're uh, we're happy with our position, and I think we're uh, we're more focused on on continuing to develop at sort of inbuilt growth that arrives as new builds deliver over the next two or three years, um, and and you know really really take advantage of these strong years ahead to recharter the ships that are already on the water and who have charters ending during that time. Yeah, and and quick as we're running out of time, Andy, from a growth perspective, can you remind us what you think you guys will be able to achieve from a growth standpoint at Gaslog Partners specifically? Sure. So at Gaslog Partners, we have guidance of two to four percent growth in our uh, annual dividend, and right now that's paying um, you know almost almost ten percent in the high nine percent, so low double digit equity return, and then our our and that's cash on cash. Of yep. Course. Uh, and our parent has a has a target of doubling EBITDA from 2017 to 2022, uh, so more of a growth vehicle, um, and we're well on our way to achieving that goal. Um, so f feel good about those two options in the in the gas log family. Got it. And Harold, you guys obviously have a lot of new builds coming on over the course of the next several years, so so a, a, a meaningful amount of growth. But how do you think about that, I guess, in the next several years? And then maybe you think about as you continue to grow and mature as a company, what you think the growth opportunity is for you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we also, you know, we were quite early out ordering vessels. Uh, when others were were sort of waiting a bit, uh, I think it, w it was important for us to to get to a to a certain size. Uh, so so you're sort of 
able to be uh, be in all three three basins. You know, two vessels that you had that was too little. Thirteen vessels, I think, uh, was good. Uh, we could have ordered more, uh, but when everybody else started ordering, we thought, uh, you know, it's probably time to sit back and wait a bit and see how this uh, develops. Uh, but uh, you know, I think there's there is definitely uh, room for uh, for more vessels uh, based on what you see. Uh, coming online, but uh, I think for, for us for now, uh, you know, we have 13 vessels, uh, nine still under construction, so uh, I think that's a, a good size to be, uh, be at for now. Got it, that's helpful. And we have about 30 seconds left, so Majid, I'm gonna turn it over to you. We always like to know what spot rates are going to do, so <laughs> why don't you guys know what you think spot rates might look like? Where can we see a peak this year? Can we beat last year's peak, and, and how about 2020? So I, I think the, the uh, arbitrage to Asia is going to open up. Prices in Asia are going to go up by the end of the year. There will be much more higher need for uh, U.S. and Atlantic Basin trade to Asia, increasing shipping requirement and, and of course, increasing the, the, the rate from what we see today, similar to the peaks that we've seen in 200,000 level when China surprised the market, maybe not that high, but we'll see a positive movement. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to end it. Majid, Andy, Harold, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.